Hi, welcome to episode 30 of Global Exchanges, a podcast about foreign exchange markets and related issues. I'm Greg Anderson. In this week's episode, my co-host Stephen Gallo and I will be talking about the generalized rise in commodity prices thus far in 2022 and contrast it to the move in G10 commodity currencies. We go through potential reasons for why commodity currencies haven't rallied alongside commodity prices. The title for this episode is The Disconnect Between Commodity Prices and Commodity Currencies. Hi, I'm Stephen Gallo, a London-based FX strategist. Welcome to Global Exchanges, presented by BMO Capital Markets. Hi, I'm Greg Anderson, a New York-based FX strategist. I'm Stephen's co-host. In each weekly podcast like today's, we discuss our perspectives on the global economy and the foreign exchange market. We also bring in guests from the FX industry and from related financial markets like commodities. We strive to make this show as interactive as possible, so don't hesitate to reach out by going to bmocm.com slash global exchanges. Thanks for joining us. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates or subsidiaries. Okay, the date is January 18th, 2022. This is episode 30 of Global Exchanges. Greg, let's take a look at a few relevant variables based on the topic today. Uh, Year to date, the price of oil is up by around 12.5%, and the Bloomberg Commodity Energy Subindex is up by a similar amount in raw index terms. Now, we have seen something of a response in a portion of G10 commodity currencies, but not much. Uh, The Nokia is trading just 0.4% higher year to date versus the greenback. Uh, The Canadian dollar has done a little bit better, uh, but it's only up 0.9% year to date, just under a percent. Greg, there are other segments of the FX space and commodities complex we can look at though. Why don't you take it from this point? Stephen, in, in highlighting the moves in commodity prices and commodity currencies, you were right to start with oil. That's definitely where we've seen the biggest move in commodities. You referenced the Bloomberg Energy Subindex being up 13%. Uh, and so just for comparison, the Bloomberg Industrial Metals Subindex is up 3.2%. The Agricultural Commodities Subindex is up 1.4%. And then the laggard is the uh, Precious Metals Subindex, which is down 0.8%. Put all the components together, and the Bloomberg Commodity Index is up 5.2% year-to-date clearly led by oil, but with agricultural commodities and base metals also rallying. So what we would typically expect to see is the New Zealand dollar rallying alongside agricultural commodity prices and Aussie rallying alongside base metals. But thus far this year, Aussie and Kiwi are both down, get this, against the euro and the yen. I've got to say, it seems a bit strange. All very noteworthy points, Greg. So do you have an explanation for this, for why this has happened? Uh, Nope. It seems like a mystery to me. I was hoping that you had a story. Okay, you know what, Greg? Why don't we go through a list of possibilities for why these commodity currencies are basically stuck? So firstly, and I guess it's a question I'll just throw out there and we'll toss it back and forth, the issue, is it because commodity currency central banks have not been as hawkish as the Fed so far this year? I'm going to say maybe, in some cases, that can be somewhat of a partial explanation. 
in trying to reduce everything to a number to facilitate comparison, let me start with this. The Fed's hawkishness on rates and on balance sheet policy has caused the benchmark U.S. two-year Treasury yield to rise 29 basis points since December 31st. The two-year U.S. dollar-denominated swap rate, which is what we typically use for comparison uh, in FX, is also up 29 basis points. Okay, but the Canadian dollar-denominated two-year swap rate is up 30 basis points. So I'm just going to call that the same move as, as with the U.S. rate. That can't explain the Canadian dollar's lack of a co-rally alongside oil, in my humble opinion. But I, I guess for the Norwegian Krone and the Norges Bank, look, the, the two-year swap rate is only up 17 basis points, so it's uh, 12 basis points less than the U.S. Uh, and for the RBNZ and, and the Kiwi, the two-year swap rate was so elevated already um, you know, in November and December that it's only up nine basis points year to date. So yes, uh, that rate move trails the the dollar's uh, move. For completeness in Aussie, the two-year Aussie swap rate is up 22 basis points. So it it trails the the US dollar's move by seven basis points. I guess this might give us a, a bit of an explanation for why Aussie and Kiwi in particular have not gained against the USD this year. But actually, the mystery I was pointing out was that these currencies have lost ground against the euro and yen. And euro two-year swap rates are up six basis points year-to-date. Yen two-year swap rates are up four basis points year-to-date. So um, interesting differentials, like commodity prices, argue that crosses like Aussie yen and Kiwi yen should have moved higher. So to me, uh, assigning this mystery to the Fed, it it doesn't exactly solve it. Greg, you made some interesting points there. And I guess one thing I would point out is that in the case of the Fed, it is playing catch up a bit with central banks like the Norges Bank and the RBNZ. But but like you said, uh, that catch up alone doesn't seem to explain the mystery of why commodity currencies are not following the strength in commodity prices more closely. So I was once on a speaker's panel with an economist who was a pretty funny guy, but whose name uh, presently escapes me. Anyway, he said that whenever we have some type of global economic phenomenon we can't explain, just say China. So with that, let me turn it back to you, Stephen. Is there some way through commodity demand or whatever that we can resolve this with something going on in China? Greg, that's an excellent point. But I don't want to come across as an expert on Chinese demand for raw materials and commodities. The truth is, this is one of those times when we need Colin Hamilton uh, on board because he knows Chinese uh, supply and demand in raw materials very well and how that space is evolving. Uh, But on your point, Greg, uh, I would simply say this. Uh, we know China is is implementing its zero COVID strategy. Uh, that has implications for both supply and demand, but it could conceivably be eating into China's demand for certain raw materials. Uh, we know there were power cuts and factory closures late last year. Uh, the property market is clearly in a slowdown phase. And we also know policymakers are not adding huge amounts of fiscal and monetary stimulus, even though they've adopted an easing bias. 
with the international trade data I look at uh, from China, of course, you can see evidence of slower nominal growth rates of certain commodity imports. Uh, and it's certainly true that import growth has been more subdued than export growth in recent months. In fact, we saw that with the December trade data. Now, is that growth backdrop in China transmitting through to commodity-based currencies? Yep, yeah, possibly it is. Uh, and, and might China's economic backdrop contribute to a deceleration in global inflation pressures later this year? Possibly, but we don't know for sure. One other more medium-term factor I would mention is the Made in China 2025 policy. That could permanently change the way that Chinese demand influences global currencies, but it's very difficult to know how much of the implementation of that policy is evident in price fluctuations today. Uh, but yes, Greg, China should certainly be on the list of factors worth considering. If you don't mind a pointed follow-up question, if weakness in Chinese demand were the explanation for weakness in commodity currencies, then shouldn't we see commodity prices lower too? Greg, that is a very pointed follow-up question. Uh, and it's one that I am not going to pretend to have a great answer for. But perhaps China is only having a partial effect on commodity prices or the, the Chinese economic backdrop is only having a partial effect on commodity prices because we are seeing uh, excess demand in other parts of the world helped by very loose monetary policy and probably more importantly, very loose fiscal policy. Uh, and maybe there is also an element of the green transition embedded in energy prices and base metals too. We covered this a bit in our annual outlook and I don't think we're gonna go into it in depth today, but it's something to keep in mind for the year as a whole. Perhaps the equilibrium prices of certain commodities are simply changing. I guess I agree with you there. Equilibrium prices in many commodities have changed to where they are probably semi-permanently higher. And with the shift in who is buying things like base metals, that should be good news for metals exporters. So I'm not surprised that uh, metals currencies like Czar is up 3% year to date and Chile and Peso, uh, you know, that it's up 4%. I'm just mystified as to why Aussie is down 1%. And similarly, I'm not surprised that Canadian dollar is up 1%, call it. It's just, I don't understand why it's not up 3 to 5% on the back of a 15% oil move. Yes, Greg, but even with the South African rand, which you mentioned, as you mentioned, is up year to date versus the US dollar, even with that move, you can't really isolate the portion of it that is from metals prices and the portion that is from broad dollar weakness we have seen year to date. It's a mystery in many ways. So let's begin to wrap this podcast up, Greg. How do we look at this picture really overall? And, and more importantly, what do we do from an FX trading perspective? Without a good reason for this year's decline in Aussie yen, I think it makes sense to buy the dip in that pair. From both a commodity price and an interest rate differential perspective, the pair should have rallied, but it hasn't. I would still be looking to position for a move back up to 86 or so by mid-year in Aussie yen. What have you got, Stephen, uh, as a way to trade this commodity-commodity-currency disconnect mystery? And maybe, um, do you want to come at this uh, from an oil angle? Sure, Greg. Uh, well, I still like Euro CAD lower, and I think you've got 
three elements working in your favor here. Uh, firstly, higher oil prices, which compound the impact uh, of the increase in natural gas prices. Uh, secondly, net trade flows or net trade. Uh, the euro area recorded its first merchandise trade deficit with the rest of the world last November in almost a decade. Uh, and thirdly, there's probably a bit more of the monetary policy diversion story left in this trade. I don't think there's a huge amount given what's already priced in for the Bank of Canada, but I, I think there's there's still a bit more left. So I, I, I think Eurocad can take a stab at the high 130s before the cycle ends, Greg. Well, Stephen, for this topic, I think this is all that I've got for today. Is this where we should leave it? Yeah, let's wrap up episode 30 here. Thanks for listening. We're planning our next episode for the 25th of Jan. Until then. Thanks for listening to Global Exchanges. Listen to past episodes and find transcripts at bmocm.com slash global exchanges. We'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. You can send us an email or reach out to us on Bloomberg. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show is produced and edited by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.